Good morning, fellowship. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was okay. I'll try one more time. Good morning, fellowship. It is great to see you. We have so looked forward to this time together with you as we continue our series, our rhythm series, looking at the spiritual discipline of fasting. But before we go there, last week, Nick Rowland shared with us the importance of growing in the spiritual rhythm of prayer. And in fact, he said this, he said, the purpose or the, this process of having a regular conversation of, with God, where we are letting him speak into our life through his word and we are speaking to him through prayer is essential to growing to be more like Jesus. Would you agree? Would you agree? You know, our worship through song can be a powerful part of that ongoing conversation. And so this morning, we wanted to give you an opportunity to pray God's truth from Matthew 6 back to God. And so, you know, because spiritual rhythms should be practiced, we wanted to learn a new song together. Is that okay with you? You game to learn a new song? Yes, all right. Because here's the deal, is every voice precious to God in this room, you form a choir that God is worthy of, amen? So let's stand and let's learn this song together, all right? It's really simple. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. You don't seem scared. It's pretty good. Let's try it again. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Learn this chorus. You ready? sound amazing. Let's learn it.
That's such a fun song. And I think it's so incredible for us to think about how tangible, how our God loves us in such tangible ways, ways that we can see and ways that we can count on. So I think about one of the lyrics in this song and it just says, give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I think that's something that we could meditate on, that we can think about, that we can use to encourage us because no matter what's going on in our lives, you know, I think it all looks vastly different for each and every one of us, whether it's, you know, your finances, whether it's in your marriage, your friendships, relationships, whatever that is, you can depend on God. You know, I, I wanna share a quick story with you. I um, once heard a pastor share, he was like, you know, I had someone ask me why we raise our hands in worship. And I thought of a story to explain it to them. And I just said, you know, when you think about a child, a little child running to their mother and father, they kind of get so excited and they run and they run and they raise their hands up into the sky, just anticipating that embrace because there's a trust, because there's a dependence on their parent. And I think when we're worshiping, when we're praying, when we're doing those things and we're running to God and pursuing him, that's what we're doing when we raise our hands. It's one of the things we're doing. It's an expression, an expression saying to God, hey, I trust you. I'm dependent on you. So as we continue this morning, I just wanna give you a space. We wanna give you a space to meditate on that. So whatever it is, you can lay it down right here. You can say, God, I am dependent on you.
Set up a good morning fellowship. Hey, that was good. We're getting the hang of it now. Well, hey, I just want to say hello. If this is your first time here, welcome. We are so glad that you've made the decision to join us today. And um, out in the foyer, we have an information booth, and we'd love if you would just stop by. We want to say hello. We want to get to know you. And I just want to let you know about a few opportunities that are coming up this summer. We have um, a lot of summer community opportunities. So if you're looking for ways to get plugged in, meet some new faces, find a community group, we have that chance for you to do so. So if you wanna head to our website, which is fellowshipnwa.org, you'll find all the information that you need to get signed up. Okay, that's her way of looking at me going, now it's your turn, so. <laughs> I was just really enjoying kind of playing and just hearing and Alex do her thing. But hey, um, you know, and as I think about this morning, 
It's hard to believe, but for almost 29 years, I've had the privilege to be a part of experiences like this, and, and I'm humbled by that opportunity. But each and every time, even after all that time, I'm constantly reminded and brought face to face with just how dependent we are upon God. We spend a lot of prayerful time, intentional time, preparing and planning for these celebrations, but apart from Him, nothing eternal, nothing transformational can happen in this place. And I am very, very aware that each and every one of you in this room and, and online, you bring your story into this sacred gathering. We all come from different circumstances, different places, and maybe our lives are, are full of joy or sadness, trials or seasons of easygoing, or peace or anxiety. Regardless of what we're going through, what we need this morning, even if we were to, have, by some grace of God, able to offer the pinnacle expression of music and song or speech or creativity, it would not be enough. And so our prayer for this morning has been simple, that we would be able to set a table for worship where we can experience the empowering presence of God who can change everything, who can transform, redefine, give purpose to our life circumstances. And so to that end, I'd like to call you to a bold prayer. I'd like to invite you, would you go to that place that only you and God share and ask him to speak to you? to open your, your heart and your mind to the things he would choose to say to you. I invite you to do that now. Take a moment.
See your heart. 
come on this is great news and as you the one that never leaves the one behind. You're always pursuing us. You're always chasing us, God. So I just pray that we just pause right here and we just realize that and as you speak, as you speak, you are speaking to us, God. And so we speak back to you with nothing other than just our praise. So Father, we love you and we give you this time when we pray all of this in Jesus' name. You guys can be seated. Good morning, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here and we are in our third week in our Spiritual Rhythms series. And if you don't have one of the books, we'd love for you to have one of those books. But you can uh, turn to fasting, the third chapter in, in your book. But we are in the midst of our, our Spiritual Rhythms series. A couple weeks ago, Sam introduced it talked about what it looks like to be spiritually formed or spiritual formations. Then last week, Nick talked about prayer and meditation. And so this week, we'll talk about fasting. Fasting. So what are spiritual rhythms? So spiritual rhythms are spiritual disciplines or holy habits. Uh, The goal of spiritual rhythms is spiritual formation. And listen to this. The spiritual rhythms or spiritual disciplines, they help guide us or form us. They are pathways that allowing the Spirit of God to form us, the people of God, to be more like the Son of God. It's, it's a participating with the Spirit, not performing. Did you hear that? The spiritual rhythms, they are pathways allowing the Spirit of God to form us, the people of God, to be more like the Son of God. It's participating with the Spirit. It's training, not trying. It's not putting out more effort. It's not about checking boxes. And our our spiritual rhythm we're talking about today could easily be a box check. As you turn um, 
in your spiritual rhythms books, I want to talk a little bit about what this looks like. I've got a quote for you from Richard Foster. It says this, the needed change within us is God's work, not ours. The demand is for an inside job, and only God can work from the inside. We, we cannot attain or earn this righteousness of the kingdom of God. It is a grace that is given. So there are, there are inward um, disciplines or practices or rhythms, and there are outward ones. And you see, I've got a list for you here, and it's interesting because I think most of us are probably fairly familiar with the outward rhythms, but it's these inward ones that might be a little bit elusive to us. In some ways, they're not as, as often practiced or they're a little bit more mysterious. And this one called fasting, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a little bit interesting for me. But I think if practiced, could be revolutionary to a church. It could be the beginning of spiritual revival in a church. And so as you open your books to chapter three, we're also gonna be going through in the Bible, uh, the book of Matthew this morning, chapters four, six, and nine. We're gonna look at three snapshots of, of fasting or Jesus talking about fasting. As you do this, as you do that, I've got a question for you. What is your favorite holiday? So as you think about the year, and this says a lot about you, as you think about the year, what's your favorite holiday? Go ahead, shout them out to me. Christmas, 4th of July. Yeah, so you kind of learn a lot about a person. Memorial Day is kind of that remembrance time. I heard somebody say mine. Thanksgiving. It says a lot about a person. I love Thanksgiving. I've decided it's my favorite holiday, and for two reasons. One, there's not a lot expected from me. Every once in a while, I'll help with something, but it's just not a lot expected from me. There's no, you're not given a gift and somebody you're worried about whether somebody likes it or not. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just, I just get to be there. Second of all, what do you do? Yeah, you get to eat. It's a feast, and it'd be really wrong on Thanksgiving if you chose to fast, wouldn't it? And so they give the guy who loves to eat the teaching on fasting. As a matter of fact, I tried to get out of this teaching one other time. I thought my son was going to get married this weekend. He's actually getting married next weekend. And so at one point in time, we kind of switched. And then somehow I got switched back into it when that didn't happen this weekend. So they give the guy who loves to eat the teaching on fasting. And so if you ask Google, here's what Google says. Fasting or to fast is a, is a physiological context it may refer to a metabolic status of a person who has not eaten for a period of time, quite possibly overnight. And so if you don't eat, some of us eat late into the evening, but if you don't eat through that whole nighttime period and you get up in the morning and you eat that meal, what's it called? Break fast, because you're breaking the fast. Fasting defined is this, abstaining from something essential for the benefit of something spiritual. Now, fasting's kind of become a little bit popular recently, that intermittent fasting, you know, we like to, to, to be healthy. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're actually talking about a, a physical, abstaining from something physical or essential for the benefit of spiritual. It's a spiritual fast. A purposeful emptying with the purpose of filling. Physically abstaining often pays the way for spiritual abundance. 
Fasting's talked about a lot in the Bible. Typically, when it's talked about, it's actually somebody doing it. Over 70 times in the Bible, it's mentioned. But there's really not much instruction on what to do when you're fasting. It's commanded only once in the book of Leviticus. It's on the Day of Atonement that they were to fast, but that's the only time in the Scripture it's commanded. But it's interesting here, and we'll see this in our passage today, it's an assumed part of a vibrant Christian life. So here's the big idea. Here's what I hope we walk away with. A regular rhythm of prayer and fasting attunes us to God. His world, his work, what he's doing, and his word. Fasting helps remind us of who we are truly dependent on. Fasting helps focus us on what's truly important. It reveals to us anything false in our life, anything we're putting above God in our life. Moses fasted to receive the Ten Commandments. David fasted for the life of his child and to mourn uh, Saul and Jonathan. Ahab fasted for repentance. Elijah fasted to commune with God. Esther proclaimed a fast for deliverance and to find favor with the king. Nehemiah fasted for repentance of his people. Jesus fasted, and you might, you'll see this morning, he overcame temptation. The Pharisees and the disciples of John fasted as a discipline. Paul and Barnabas fasted before the appointing of elders, and Paul fasted after being stuck on the Damascus Road. You see, Fasting was a part, a regular part of everyday life of people in the Bible. So maybe it should be a part of our life as well. But the problem is it's hard or it can be hard. It seems like some kind of radical thing that people who are really disciplined do. If we had you raise your hands, I know some of you would go, yeah, it's not that big a deal. I can do it. I can go a day without eating. It's not a big deal. You're the disciplined ones. The rest of us don't like you, okay? What we're talking about is the rest of it. It's hard. Fasting can be very hard. But in a time of what seems like abundance, a practice of abstaining can be challenging while at the same time a cleansing practice. And in Matthew 9, we'll look at in just a minute, Jesus says there's a time to feast and a time to fast. So for the next few minutes, we're gonna look at three snapshots of fasting or where Jesus talks about fasting. The first one's in Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse one. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter four and read with me. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the greatest understatement in all of Scripture, he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, and the text says he was hungry. The tempter, who the devil, um, it's just another word for the enemy. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's interesting here. Jesus had just been baptized. So in the previous text, he'd just been baptized, and now he's led by the Spirit, but not tempted by the Spirit, but he's led by the Spirit to be tempted by the tempter. And what does the enemy say? Hey, if you are the Son of God, well, yeah, he's the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then then turn these stones into bread. You can do it. 
He was hungry. The tempter's crafty in his tempting. He always is with us as well. But Jesus' response is powerful. Man shall not live on bread alone. You see, abstinence from something spiritual can often pave the way for, can often lead to abundance spiritually. And I want you to see there, in that text, Jesus says something really interesting. It is written. You see, he's actually quoting an Old Testament text. And I think that's, if we had a dime for every time that Jesus says that, you would realize that he thinks the scriptures are really important. And knowing the scriptures actually can help you in a time of temptation. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What he's doing is he's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is writing to God's people, the Israelites, as they are before or during as they're entering the promised land, and Moses is very concerned. He's concerned that they are going to forget God. You see, in just a couple chapters previous, in Deuteronomy 6, he, he gave them the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he told them, as you live your life, talk about these things. Talk about these words. As you go, as you drive your minivan down the road, talk about these things. And then in in chapter eight, he says this. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you or your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, Moses is telling them, he's he's reminding them that the Lord led you, he humbled you, he fed you, all of this to teach you that man does not live by this. Richard Foster calls our stomachs that spoiled child within you. Because so often we want to feed it, don't we? So often we use food to kind of cope. I know in my life I've used food in so many ways. And he says, you've got to tell the spoiled child within you at times, no. And in this world where we live in incredible abundance, in a moment's notice you can go by any fast food restaurant and, and meet your desire. Maybe there's just a time, such a time as this, that we would say no for a period of time in order to walk spiritually closer to the Lord. It's interesting here, all throughout the, 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 the Bible, is this, this God's words talked about this sustaining food or bread. In Jeremiah 15, it says, Your words were found, and I ate them. Or King David in Psalm 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. And Jesus said in John chapter 4, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that you may grow up 
in your salvation. Two things I think we know from this is that God is the sustainer. And we are very forgetful. Don't forget who sustains you. Here's what we can learn, or here's what we know, or here's three things that are true about fasting. Fasting reminds us. It reminds us that our dependence is on the Lord. Fasting focuses us. We're kind of like a, a camera lens that's just a little bit out of focus. And when you, when you abstain from something, especially food, you, it's just like it, it kind of helps you bring you into focus. It creates space to hear the Lord's voice. Fasting reveals false dependencies. You see, the danger of material or physical abundance is that it can lead to affluence, which can lead eventually to spiritual amnesia. Abundance, affluence, amnesia. And that's what Moses was concerned about. And that's what we should be concerned about. And so it's really good to every once in a while abstain and focus on the Lord. Our second snapshot's from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, and it's Jesus, and what he's doing, it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he's responding to his audience, and listen to what he says. When you fast, so he's talking about them fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will, be, it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, it's interesting here. Jesus is telling them how to fast. And really what he's doing is he's saying, hey, don't do it like them, like the Pharisees. Don't do it like these guys. Matter of fact, some, uh, some theologians or Bible experts say that the Pharisees, they used to fast, and they'd fast tw- two days a week, and they would pick the days of the market. They just happened to pick the days when everyone was out at the market, and they had to be out too because they wanted everyone to see them fasting. And Jesus is saying, that's not how you fast. You see, fast is an, fasting is an inward discipline, and it attunes you to the heart of God. He said, don't do it like that. But I think there's an even greater principle that Jesus is using here. And I think it's interesting. He says the words, when you fast. You see, he's not commanding them to fast. He's not saying you must fast. But he's also not saying if you fast. He's just saying, hey, when you fast, do it like this. You know, some uh, commentators also say that uh, the reason there's not much instruction on fasting in the scriptures is that at, at the times of the writing, it was just such a regular practice of people. And if you really look at it, it's really a part of all different religions. It's even kind of popular for physical reasons. But fasting should be part of the Christian faith. It's something we should, we should do, and it can be very challenging Foster says this also, he says, God intends the discipline of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings, people who have jobs, who care for children, who must wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of our normal daily activities. 
If they are to have any transforming effect, the effect must be found in the ordinary junctures of human life, our relationships with our husband or wife, our brothers or sisters, our friends and neighbors. The spiritual disciplines are intended for our good. They are meant to bring abundance into our lives. So you may be asking the question, okay, so when am I supposed to fast? Or how do I know when I'm supposed to fast? And Jesus gives us kind of an answer in the next snapshot. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter nine, this third snapshot. He's actually responding to the disciples of John the Baptist, and they're asking him a question. They're saying, hey, Jesus, why is it that, that the Pharisees fast and, and we fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus gives them an amazing answer. Actually, I think it's an answer that shows us that fasting in the Old Testament times and fasting in the New Testament times is, is a little different. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. He says this, Then John's disciples came and asked, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. It's interesting, isn't it? that Jesus is talking about that. And he's saying the reason is, the difference is, is that the, the, the bridegroom is with them and they are here to celebrate the bridegroom. The passage we're looking at is actually in the context of, of just before that, you'll see um, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of going to this party he shouldn't go to. He's partying with the wrong people. And Jesus' response to that is, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And then there's like, okay, so why don't your disciples fast? Well, because you don't fast when it's time to feast. You don't fast when you come to the celebration, when the bridegroom's present. I told you uh, there was supposed to be a wedding this weekend, or we thought originally, and now it's next weekend, so we're hosting a wedding. It's our, my son that's getting married, so we're not putting on the ceremony. But wouldn't it be interesting if, if everyone who came to the ceremony, they're expecting dinner, and it'd be really financially advantageous for us on Friday night and for her, her parents on Saturday if we just said, hey, we're just going to fast tonight. I mean, it would save thousands of dollars, wouldn't it? But it doesn't make sense. Because at the wedding, it's a time to celebrate. And Jesus says, it's not the time for my disciples to fast because I'm here. It would be like when the king comes to the kingdom and then everyone decides to fast. It doesn't make sense. At the wedding banquet is a time to celebrate. It's a time to sing and dance. And people are happy. They're not mourning. But what Jesus does say here is interesting. Look at the end of that. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. What's really interesting about this is he's talking about now. You see, Jesus in his first coming was here, right? And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And then we looked at our risen series and, and what happened? He ascended to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And during this thing called the church age, we are called to fast and pray. And we're supposed to wait for the bridegroom to come back. And what that will do is it will help us remember him. 
You see, what fasting does is it, it helps us to remember him and we tell the spoiled child of our stomach no so we can focus on yes. That's what fasting does. Jesus goes on in, in verse 16. It's really interesting here. This is an often misunderstood passage, but if you look at it in the context of Jesus being the bridegroom during, and fasting, look at this with me. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and they are both preserved. You see, Jesus is, seems to be comparing his ministry with that of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a reformer. He was telling these, these Jews that they needed to repent. He was pointing them towards Jesus. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, that's not my thing. I've got something new. It's a new paradigm. I am the king. And this new thing, this new paradigm, this new covenant is in my blood. And so while the bridegroom is here, while the king is visiting the kingdom, we celebrate. Because there's a time, this church age, when we will fast. In fellowship, we are called to live in this time, I think we are called to fast. Fasting reminds. It reminds us to acknowledge that our dependence is on God, that even when our tummies are full, that he is the true bread of life. Fasting focuses. It helps us to see things clearly. It creates a space for us to hear the Lord's voice. Fasting reveals. It reveals our false dependencies. Here's what fasting doesn't do. It doesn't make you more righteous. If you're one of those people you love to do the right thing and check off the boxes, it doesn't make you more righteous. It does attune you to God. It does remove the distractions, but it doesn't make you more righteous, and it doesn't make God hear us more. It's kind of like prayer. It brings you into tune with God. It removes the distractions. So how should we fast? There's really two ways, I think, in this New Testament time that we should be fasting. It's out of response or out of discipline. So out of response would be like this. You've got something going on in your life, maybe something really challenging. Maybe there's a sin issue. Maybe, maybe even as I'm speaking today, the Lord's bringing up something going, okay, that's what I need to abstain from. That's what I need to fast from. And so it's out of a response. We, my wife, Sherry, and I had some really dear friends years ago, and they had a, a wayward adult son, and he was just struggling. And so what they did is, is one day a week, and I remember the day, and we would talk about it, and we'd pray for them, and, and they would fast all day long, and then they would break their fast at dinner each night. And they would kind of have this celebration between the husband and the wife, and they would talk about what God did during the day. And each time when they were fasting throughout the day, they'd have hunger pains. They would pray for this son who they just loved so much and they wanted him to come back to the Lord. That's a response. There's lots of ways you can do that. 
It's also a discipline. I also had a, we had a global worker friend who their organization would all fast on the same day of the week. And he said it was really helpful because they lived in kind of a dangerous area and it, it really helped him to be tuned in on when he should engage and when he shouldn't or when he should go to the market and when he shouldn't. But every day, the same day of the week, they would fast. What's interesting is you gotta be careful with things like fasting because there's kind of these two digits. There's liberty, I'm never gonna do that. That's not my thing. You see, that's the, what the enemy will tell you. The enemy will tell you, you can't do this, but you can. But there's liberty. You don't ever participate, but there's also legalism. And my friend who was doing it out of discipline, he said, you know, it got so legalistic and everybody was talking about their fast. He said, we just, my wife and I moved to a different day of the week just to make it more of a, a thing that we were trying to, to stay with the Lord. So you gotta be careful in this, these ditches of liberty and, and legalism. And we can do that a lot in our Christian faith. There's also a partial or total fast, and people use this a little bit different, but um, a partial fast may be something like just a particular type of food. Daniel, you might remember Daniel and his buddies, they, they, they fasted from choice foods, and so you can do that type of fast. Some people call a partial fast when you, when you fast only from food and not water, but it, it's really, if you're gonna fast from uh, both food and water, which would be the technical total fast term, you really need to do some research. But there's a total fast, total fast of food, or a total fast of food and water. You'll see it in different places in Scripture. What you've got to decide is, Lord, what are you leading me to do? And here's the challenge. In fasting, you can fast from different types of things. Um, Typically in the Scriptures, it's food. But you need to just start small. Like, just go without a meal. Take a lunchtime and just say, you know what? We're not gonna, I'm not gonna eat at lunch today. I'm gonna go on a prayer walk. And then throughout the afternoon, as I have hunger pains, I am going to pray and spend time focused on the Lord, but still go out throughout your day. So start small. I encourage you to pray during that. You can also fast from other things. Now, some theologians will tell you that's not technically a fast. That's called abstaining, which is really true. But I think just, just the idea in our, in our culture, there's so many things coming at us. I would encourage you to try whatever seems to be dominating you. Try abstaining from it. Matter of fact, I've got a little exercise for you. Our, our worship team, as we were processing through this teaching, we came up with a grid. And so if you're, if you're looking for freedom from something like anxiety or materialism, or anger, or control, or maybe it's even excessive. And what you might what you might do is you might consider fasting, picking something to fast from. So I'll just give you an example. If you're looking for freedom from anxiety, and I know there's a lot of lot more to it than just this, but if you're looking for freedom from anxiety, you might consider fasting from social media, and you might just find peace. And you know the struggle is we kind of all know that, don't we? But then, why do we not do it? So maybe the Lord's speaking to you today over one of these things. If you're looking for freedom from materialism, maybe you just love things. Maybe you should consider fasting from entertainment or shopping or something like that, and you might just find contentment. Maybe your thing is anger. You get frustrated. Maybe you should consider fasting from the news, huh? Or if you find your news on social media, maybe both. And you might just be able to learn to practice that that idea of healthy mourning or healthy righteous indignation, just being okay.
to separate yourself or if your things control or maybe excessivism, consider fasting from food and just find release. If you're like me, the Lord's probably working on you right now. I see some faces out there and that's a good thing. You see, I, I know, he's telling me, I know what my thing is. I know what I need to fast from. And here's my encouragement to you. Whatever that thing is, find a practice to abstain. Start small, maybe grow into something a little bit more. But I encourage you, pick an area of your life and also try food. Start small and try it. What if we became a church where the Lord, where we fasted and we prayed? What do you think would happen? What do you think would happen in our heart? What do you think would happen in our conversations? What do you think would happen in our neighborhoods? May this become a regular practice of our life. A regular rhythm of prayer and fasting attunes us to God, his work, his world, and his word. We're going to take communion as a family together. Now I invite you to hold the elements as they come your way. When you consider the body that was broken for you and the blood that was shed for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just invite you to remember his story and what he made possible inside of your life. Let's celebrate him. had given up his life the darkest day in history they're on a cross they made for sinners for every curse his blood atoned when final breath and it was finished not the end we could have known for the earth began to shake and the veil was torn sacrifice was made as the heavens
Oh 
Would you stand with me as we take communion? Abstaining from something physical can give way, make room for God to do something spiritual. Fasting, it reminds us of who we're dependent on. It, it, it reveals us any false dependencies. It, it focuses us, gives us room to think. But you know what else reminds us? This, coming to the table. Church, the bread of life broken for you and for me. Take and feast. The blood of Christ shed for you and for me. Take and drink. Before you leave today, our prayer room's open. We'd love to pray with you if you've got anything going on. Also, immediately following this service, the Legacy Gathering will be going on. God bless you, church.